three of our grow series we will be starting the book of ephesians um in two weeks so excited about that but in the meantime we're looking um we're going we're doing our sermon our series on grow um again i apologize for um uh, for the the sound and all that that's on me um did y'all like the core reading okay was that all right it's a little different but something to Okay, um, so during my last season as coach, I know I talk about basketball a lot, and my, I have so many experiences uh, with it. Um, we were playing in the last game that I ever coached at Hamilton County High School in that gym. We played Hawthorne in the regional finals, which is the game before state. Um, and Miss Miss Ronnie, can you turn the turn these these on? Oh, are they on already? All right, sorry. I try to. I'll speak more into it. Um, and and so we were we were playing um, we we're about to play Hawthorne in the game before state and uh, I went outside that afternoon and went out to the to the football field to the track uh, and there's a there's the, the long jump pit. Anybody familiar with that? You know, you had run track, you seen track. Uh, I went to a long jump uh, pit and I, I got like a bottle of uh, dirt and, and I, I brought it you know, back with me to uh, to school, and and that night um, in the pep talk, uh, which I used to joke with football coaches, how they had it made. They only had to do ten pep talks a year. I had to do like thirty because uh, we had a lot more games uh, in basketball. But um, but one of the things that I that I did that night was I I, I showed them that dirt, and they're like, what 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 is that, coach? You got a, some dirt? And I'm like, well, this represents the hard work and what we call the grind. All right, that's another catchphrase uh, these days. Um, that it, it represented our work ethic, our, our grind, the hard work we put in. Because during during um, the first couple weeks of the year, we worked in the in the long jump pit. Like, um, it's kind of like sand, like beach sand almost. And we did we did a lot of uh, working out and exercises there. And that's not easy. Uh, and so like we would put our guys through a lot. Uh, would make them uncomfortable so so they'd be comfortable whenever tough times came and so um you probably heard of quotes or sayings like um you know no pain no gain right um you know just the whole blood sweat tears you've heard of that you're familiar with that uh when the going get tough the tough get going um uh, if it doesn't challenge you it doesn't change you uh so there's different expressions and to be quite honest with you those things don't sound very enjoyable right i mean you know if you like sports like yeah yeah you know you get all pumped up but uh, you know they don't sound very enjoyable uh, at the time but ask anyone who's ever been successful in their field and they'll tell you that it's worth it right um onward through pain because pain does come so we are on the o and grow g-r-o-w and we're at onward through pain um, we looked at uh, giving everything we have and to reach out to God in prayer uh, last week. And my mom said she liked my sermon. Anytime my mom says she likes it, I'm I'm good. So if mom is there, love you, mom. All right. Um, and, and, you know, look, pain, um, again, onward through pain because pain does come. Uh, Dolly Parton might have said it better than anybody, right? I beg your pardon. I never promise you a rose garden, right? Come on, anybody want to sing that with me? Okay, all right. Um, uh, I you know I have no idea where this prosperity gospel began, um, but it's a sham. All right, uh, it will not all be sunshines and rainbows. All right, and if someone believes that, then they're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. Okay, um, and it, the old saying is that you're either coming out of a valley 
All right, you're either going through one or you're about to go through one, right? Everybody is familiar with that. So what happens whenever things get tough? What is our response? What should our response be um, as children of God? Uh, and because today we, we we come to a part that's that's really tough to talk talk about sometimes. Um, the reality that life is hard, um, and there, and whenever we want to grow, we're going to experience resistance. And so um, this is the central statement: uh, we suffer uh, pain. All right, we suffer because we live in a fallen world, because we fail individually, and because of our faith. The question is, what will we do about it now? I know Mr. Loris is proud of me today with the with the uh, repeated Fs there. Okay, all right. So uh, we'll be we'll be looking at Joseph. Okay, we'll be looking at the life of Joseph. Not all of it because there's so much to, about Joseph in uh, in the Bible. But we're going to look at Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 first. So verses 18 through 28. Again, it'll be up there. And thank you, Miss Rhonda, for always doing a great job. Sally and Mr. Loris uh, leading some worship. Thank you guys. So Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 18, just read along with me. It says, They saw him in the distance, uh, him being Joseph, they being the brothers. Okay? And before he had reached him, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, Oh, look, here comes that dream expert, or that dreamer in other um, translations. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say... We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben, we'll talk about the dreams a little bit later. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to him, don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father uh, later. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal, and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother on our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. So if you're taking notes, we number one is we suffer because we live in a fallen world. I think we can all agree that this was not the right thing to do by his brothers. Okay, uh, Now, Joseph wasn't perfect. We'll look at that a little bit later. But um, sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, and it's still here. All right, It's still here. We, we are born with that sinful nature. All right? um, you know, people are mean. Um, and, you know, I, just this past week, you know, I saw a kid... Um, hit another kid with a ball because he didn't like this uh, other kid messing with him or, or just kind of being around him. And, you know, the other kid was a little bit crippled. And I'm like, why, why, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, kids can be really mean uh, sometimes. And uh, we mess up and we see the effects of sin all around us. And um, Joseph didn't deserve to be sold by his brothers. Now, he wasn't perfect, but he, he didn't deserve that. Sometimes bad things happen. We're in a fallen world, everybody. We're in a fallen, sinful world. Matthew 5, verse 45 says, So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and since reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, uh, you know, we see right there that, you know, we're, uh, we're going to have good and bad times right there already, uh, from, from what that verse says. Looking forward into the life of Joseph, we see him be wrongfully accused, okay, uh, and, and have to stay in prison for two years. We see other people forget the goodness he had done for them. All right, and uh, you know, and, and just think about the people you know who have experienced great loss and sickness. It doesn't really seem fair. 
you know, and we, we talked about some today, and Mr. Johnny's um, grandson, and, and, and little Lincoln Paul, and, you know, um, it doesn't seem fair sometimes. All right, we live in a fallen world. There's sin, and there's loss, and there's death all around us. And it doesn't seem fair because we're taught very early on what's fair and what's not fair, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I think, um, you know, if anybody else, is, you know, we have multiples right here. You know, um, twins. I, I think even there's even for uh, multiples like I, like ourselves that is even more of an innate type thing. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but for us, like fair is always in our mind. You know, even as little kids, it was always like, well, you gave her, you got her a uh, you know a piece of candy and her a piece of candy. Where's my piece of candy? You know, uh, and so you know fairness. We and then it seems like we're even maybe taught that sometimes in church that if we do good, then we'll be okay. God was gonna God, God's gonna bless us if we do good. God will bless us. It seems like um, and so uh, while I believe that God will take care of us that doesn't mean that everything in our lives will be okay at that time that nothing bad will ever happen to us uh, I mean do you do you guys remember the flannel graphs back in the day for Sunday school <laughs> you ever have do you ever remember having a teacher do one on Job I just I don't maybe they did I, just, I don't I don't remember uh, them doing teaching much about Job that we read about this morning it's just very interesting you know, bad things do happen to good people, but really, how good are we? But I, I digress, and I'll probably talk about that later. Well, what do we do about it? I think we can do the following when it comes to the fact that we live in a fallen world, okay? Uh, two H's, okay? Uh, hold on to God, knowing He's in control, and get help from others. So let's look at those two things. So hold on to God. Um, the old saying is, you know, you keep holding that rope. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, and their football teams always talk about that. You know, let's hold that rope. That means when things get tough, we're going to keep holding on to it. Even if we're bleeding, we're going to hold on to it. He's still holding on to us. That's the thing. Uh, Isaiah 41, verse 10. This is a great verse. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. He's holding on to us. Yeah, that's pretty good encouragement, right? I don't know about you guys. Uh, Nahum, which we don't read a whole lot from Nahum, uh, but chapter 1, verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in Him. Is your refuge in Christ? I hope He is today. He'll, and, and I want to encourage you to hold on to Him today. Uh, like I've said many times lately, that's like Dory in that movie, Keep on Swimming. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, you know, just keep going. But while you swim, keep your eyes on Christ. Keep trusting that He is in control no matter what, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross, despised His shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to look at that verse again later as well. As a man once asked his friend, says, What color are your pastor's eyes? He answered, I don't know. When he prays, he closes his eyes, and when he preaches, I close mine. Hopefully that's not any of you. I'm looking at Mr. Tommy all right, in here. But seriously, let's keep our eyes on Christ. Uh, focus on the family. Very uh, very good uh, organization. Published an article in February 2007, you know, it was about 13 years ago, entitled, When We Suffer, A Biblical Perspective on Chronic Pain and Illness. The author is Mary Yerkes, and she offered a few things that suffering produces. And I just want to give her credit because I borrowed uh, these from her, and I thought it was just really, really good, very helpful. Uh, number one, suffering produces intimacy with God. Okay. Again, we're living in this all under an umbrella of we live in a fallen world and, and uh, we suffer. But suffer, suffering produces intimacy with God. Job 42, verse 5. Remember, we know what happened to Job. I read about him earlier. Lost everything, basically. And then he says and to the, towards the end of the book, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
I heard about you. I heard about you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Uh, and, and almost like I, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. And, you know, I, I, I heard about you, but now I know. All right. That, that you see him grow in his intimacy with God. Um, and Yerkes says intimacy with God is often born in the furnace of affliction, which I agree. And the second thing, suffering equips us to comfort others. Suffering equips us to comfort others. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You know, we're able to identify. I mean, and this is kind of a, you know, obviously this, this is not like a life or death situation, but we had two young men on the football team who tore their ACL last week. And, and it's really, it was really sad for the coach because the coach loved those two young men's work ethic all summer. So they were fantastic. They, they were like the top ones in as far as their work ethic. And both of those guys messed their knee up. Uh, one in the Swanee game and one before uh, Swanee in, in, uh, in the red and white game. And, you know, I was able to talk to both of them and say, you know what, I, I, I did the same thing. Let me show you my scar. All right, let me show you. I tore my ACL in college. And, and, and uh, if you have any questions, you need anything, I'm right here. All right, just, you know, because I, I know that can be a tough process because I went through it. I was able to identify uh, with them. And I know you guys uh, are aware of what I'm saying there. John Piper and Justin Taylor wrote, People who suffer want uh, people who suffer want people who have suffered to tell them there is hope. They are justifiably suspicious of people who appear to have lived lives of ease. Suffering number three, suffering refines us. Refines us. Isaiah forty eight ten. Look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And the meaning of this verse makes it clear that pain and suffering have a way of bringing our strengths and weaknesses to the surface. When the dross floats to the surface, God skims it off and He purifies and refines us to be the radiant bride of Christ. Amen. The fourth thing that, that Miss, uh, make sure I get her name right, Miss Yerkes says, suffering produces growth and maturity. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and that endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, if we turn toward God in our pain, He can use our suffering to mature our faith. We see this biblical truth illustrated through the persecuted church. And after hearing their testimonies, few would deny that suffering produces beauty and maturity in the Spirit. The next thing, suffering conforms us into God's image. Romans 8, 28-29. And this kind of goes with the last one as well, but I just hope that, you, uh, that you're listening and you're, you're hearing things here. Uh, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For he means conformed into God's image. Paul uh, Daniel Jackson, a pastor at the church in Tucson, says, If we are willing to sit still and let God work, we will find ourselves being transformed into the image of Jesus. And the Jackson, Pastor Jackson, speaks from experience. His wife, Jody, suffered with breast cancer before passing away in 2002. Though though this horrendous through this experience, horrendous experience, God did incredible things. Her mother accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. God also changed those who cared for her. Our lives were enriched by suffering. That's what Mr. Jackson said. What a profound statement. And the second thing that we can do is we can get help from others, and uh, it's kind of a, a short thing here, but sometimes we need that. You know, I, don't, I really don't think that we are designed to live to live life alone. There's something powerful about community, uh, and just the fact that my friend who 
you know, yeah, we play fantasy football together, but you know, uh, other than that, we 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 don't speak to each other a whole lot. But he just texted me, you know, the other day, Patrick, I need you to pray. You know, I need you to pray for uh, for for my friend. So will you decide to hold on to Jesus and also get help from other Christians? I think we saw some scriptures that pointed to to uh, how we can help others. So we suffer because we live in a fallen world, and we looked at that. And the next one is because we fail individually. And then the third one would be because of our faith. What will we do about it? So now let's look in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. So we're going to go back a little bit, okay? And we're going to see that that maybe Joseph wasn't uh, Mr. Perfect, okay? All right, um, so now Israel and his dad kind of messed up here too. Now Israel loved Joseph more than, more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a long sleeve robe for him, okay? Um, when, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peacefully to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, he, he, uh, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. Hey, y'all listen, guys. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my, my sheaves stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Not something you want to tell your brothers that are all older. Right? Anybody have a bunch of brothers and sisters? I mean, probably not the thing to do. All right, um, and, and then they were like, oh, are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him, are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. They already saw the favoritism that his dad was showing him. All right? And uh, he should have probably kept that dream to himself. Okay, uh, um, so they hated him even more. Uh, verse nine. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers again. Let's see if that wasn't enough, Mister Tommy. Look, he said, I had another dream, and, and and this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bound down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked them. What kind of dream is this that uh, that that you have had? He said, Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So we know that Jacob messed up, and, and we know that Joseph was was not very wise to tell his brothers his dream. And we also know in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We all sinned. And sin has consequences. You know, and I was just talking to the guys about this the other day. I mean, we yes, there's forgiveness. I actually told my class that. You know, yes, there's forgiveness, but there's also consequences to sin. Okay? And oftentimes those consequences involve pain. Uh, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the, le- from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Right, kind of like what I said earlier, hold that rope. Just like we, you know, I, I, just like I know you all, I'm sure even now, and Michelle and other uh, parents in, or here in the house, everybody, we, we, we make sure we discipline our kids because we love them, right? And, um, you know, and, and it's always funny, you know, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me or hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, you whatever, you know. It's, it's like, really? I'd like to see you take this belt to me, you know. Uh, I mean, or the paddle, whatever it might be. But, you know, I do see some truth. I do, there's truth in that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 11 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there? Uh, that a father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Some strong words there. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. 
No discipline seemed enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I can all, I, I, and Mr. Delores, you may, and Sally, and you know, I'm sure you agree with me. Um, I've had students that have come back and said how much they appreciated uh, the fact that I had discipline in my classroom. You know, that uh, they didn't like it at the time, but they appreciate it. They really want it. You know, they don't, some people might not want to admit it, but they really, really want that, you know, that discipline in their lives. And it happens. In relation to the growing of a plant, if we're talking about growing, we talk about trees, and we have little trees in the background here and all that. Uh, this is where the idea of pruning comes into play. Right, anybody done any pruning before in here yet? All right, y'all know a whole lot more about that than I do. Okay, but pruning basically involves a very selective and careful removal of certain parts of a plant. For example, roots, branches, and buds. Am I right? Okay, this is stuff I'm reading, so y'all are the experts and not me, but um, uh, on this. But the process of pruning targets the removal of defective, dead, rotten, flimsy, and non-productive tissue from the plants, right? Okay, so, uh, you know, again, the idea of pruning doesn't sound like it's much fun for the plant, all right? But it's necessary. John 15, verses 1 through 2, look what uh, it said in here. I am the true vine. As Jesus speaking, and my father is a gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that will produce more fruit. It sounds just like a just like a, what a gardener would do. So every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. The word for prunes is the same word translated cleanse in other places, by the way. Cleanse. Uh, the same word could apply to either pruning or cleansing in ancient Greek. Uh, the vine dresser cleans up the fruit bearing vine so that it will bear more fruit. In farming, the word referred to cleaning the husk off corn and cleaning the soil before planting crops. In the metaphor of the vine, it refers to cleaning shoots off branches. Uh, the, the theologian Moore said, Left to itself, a vine will produce a good deal of unproductive growth. For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is essential. What are some things that you need to cut off in your life in order to grow? Think about that uh, for a moment as we go. Again, you see the, uh, you'll see the central statement that we suffer again because we live in a fallen world. We fail individually, you know, and we have consequences for our sins, and then because of our faith. And this is, the, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Right. So we suffer because of our faith. Number three, Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 10. Now we look at Joseph as, a, uh, as he got sold into Egypt and He's there, he's working, and, and he's, he's faithful to God, and, and God keeps blessing him. And then this happened, and it's funny, I read this same, I did the same verse, uh, the same scripture the other night with the football team. Uh, we, we talked about Joseph, and uh, what do we do when things get tough, you know? And, and we, told, we talked about the fact that this is Potiphar, he was uh, pretty high up in the, uh, in the government in Egypt, and so his wife was probably pretty good looking. Okay, uh, and so I mean we can pretty much say that you know, and so this isn't just some whatever. I mean you know, like this is a probably very attractive lady that keeps coming on to Joseph, and uh, look what happens in verse ten. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, right? no telling how many days it's been, uh, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, "Sleep with me." But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. He ran. I love that part, by the way. And we've, we've preached about that. We've preached on this before. Uh, when she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servant and said, Look, she said to them, My husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. Which we know wasn't the truth. Right? 
trying to frame him. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown in a prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. So we see a, a, a man trying to live a holy, righteous life. You know, this, this happens to him. He's thrown in jail. As the story goes, and we know he, he, he actually, again, God blesses what he does. And, and the, the, the person, the man in charge of the prison was like, hey, man, you know, you're good. I, I, I'll trust you. You can kind of be my right-hand man. And then he, there's some people come in who work for the king, right? the cupbearer and the baker. And they both have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams for them, and they come true just as just as he as God had given the interpretation that the baker would die, right? And he and he was and he did, and then that the cupbearer would be restored to his position. And then you see Joseph said, uh, he said, "Hey, remember me. Don't forget about me." Like I, you know, like I was telling the guys the other day, "Hey, don't forget about a brother. All right, I'm right here. Don't forget about me. All right, whenever it, it happens." And and there's a point, and, and I, gosh, I should already had it here, but let me see if I should have already had a reference to it. But there was years ago um, that it really it really meant a lot to me. Yes, Genesis. This is not in here, Miss Miss Rhonda, uh, but at the beginning of Genesis 41, Genesis chapter 41, the first five words, and it won't be on your screen, but it says at the end of two years. And, and that really spoke to me one time in my life whenever I got um, kind of done wrong. And, and, uh, and I mean, how long am I, am I going to be here? And there was one time in the, in the church, and I was looking, and I saw that, man, two more years Joseph had to wait. Like, it wasn't like an instantaneous thing. This guy forgot about him, and he was in jail another two years. And it's just five words, but two years? Two more years? Like, again, he hadn't done anything wrong. Sometimes we suffer because we are Christians. Because of our faith, Second Timothy three twelve. This is the one that I wonder where the where the old um, prosperity preachers what what Bible they must have cut this out their Bible, all right. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't. It can't be any more clear than that. All right? If we and I hope that's our desire as Christians is that we we're growing. We're talking about growing. That we want to live a godly life in Christ. Well, guess what? It doesn't say you might be persecuted. It says we will be persecuted. Count on it. It's going to happen. Okay. And so uh, again, I don't understand sometimes what what some people, what some preachers preach, and it, it bothers my mind. And it boggles my mind. There, persecution produces a couple things. We'll look at this as as we wrap up today in this last point. Persecution produces strength. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That song we sang earlier, even if, even if, I'm still going to praise you. My hope is in you. Even if my situation doesn't change, I'm going to still trust in you. What wonderful um, faith that is. God's grace is sufficient for His power is perfected in weakness. I love that. He's actually making us stronger. Or we're, When we're weak, we're strong. Right? Like I mentioned earlier, that resistance leads towards growth. 
the next thing that persecution produces is, is eternal glory. So it produces strength and it produces eternal glory. Second Corinthians 4, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Whew, hallelujah, amen. In heaven produces, you know, that that persecution is producing eternal glory. I don't even really know how to preach about that. It just sounds so awesome. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, you know, I need more training, I guess. All right, uh, but but that just uh, it sounds like an awesome thing to me. Eternal glory, and it's absolutely incomparable. Okay. Next thing persecution produces is endurance character and hope in Romans chapter 5 uh, I think I may have read this earlier I'm not sure and not only that but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope right? things that I'm sure everybody in here would like more of right amen I know I would this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us Paul uh, Chappelle said, Often we endure trials seeking God's deliverance from them. Suffering is painful for us to endure or to see those we love endure. While our instinct is to flee trials, remember that even in the midst of suffering, God's will is being done. Comforting words there. And I, I want to finish with asking Mr. Dolores to come up here with, uh, with a story that I've, I've shared with you guys before. Uh, you may or may not remember this, but uh, I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting story. It says, a number of years back, the codfish in industry uh, in the north, on the northeast coast of the United States had a problem. The fresher the fish, the better. All right, we always want to eat fresh fish. So how could they keep the codfish fresh while they transported them across the country? When they froze the fish, they lost too much flavor. Right? And when they transported them live in tanks filled with salt water, the fish got soft and mushy. So neither one is a great idea, right? So finally they found a solution. They placed catfish in the tanks. Catfish are a natural enemy to codfish, so the catfish would chase them around the tanks all the time they were being transported. The codfish now arrived in better condition than ever. Pretty, pretty interesting story. So I don't know, sometimes, you know, there might be old catfish in our lives. Maybe that's one that we caused, um, you know, from our sin. Maybe it was, you know, just the fact that we live in a fallen world, you know. Or maybe we, uh, maybe we, maybe it's the fact that, you know, we're, we're, maybe we're having some persecution. Don't know what it is, but we need to kind of look at it differently in the future. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We fail and because of our faith. So in conclusion, I want to end with this before I ask Miss Sally to come up. Because Christ suffered, we can have freedom and hope. If we want to talk about suffering, uh, and, and we go through and we talk about all this suffering, God forbid we don't talk about what Jesus suffered for us. Amen? Hebrews 12, verse 2, I said this earlier, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where He is right now. See, the difference here is that Jesus chose that path. We don't know, we don't, we don't choose that. No one, you know, yeah, we know there's consequences of sin, but we don't really, we're not choosing those consequences. Not, we like, that, like to have that, you know. Um, Jesus chose that path. He chose that path. Chose the path of pain. And he could have stayed in heaven, right? He could have stayed there. Right? But he came down. Jesus went through excruciating pain for us. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us. Now, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My favorite verses in the Bible. But he did not stay in the grave. Amen.
Uh, anytime I read, anytime we sing a song on Wednesday nights or any time when this talks, it starts talking about rising from the grave. Well, I'm like, whew, I get a little excited, right, Miss Shirley? I can't, I just, he didn't stay there. All right, he's no longer there. Right, Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with a heart, resorting in righteousness, and one confesses with a mouth, resorting in salvation. So if that's you today, uh, I encourage you to make that decision. If you have already made that decision, I just want to encourage you today to uh, to keep fighting, keep swimming, you know, keep holding the rope. All right? Love you guys. Miss Sally's going to lead us in a song a little bit different, a little bit different song than you normally have for um, this time, but I think that you'll still appreciate it. My closing song is Trust and Obey.